as you open your Bibles this morning to Jeremiah 31, Jeremiah chapter 31, I would encourage you also ask God, just quietly in your own heart, also ask Him to make this prayer from the psalmist, we're going to borrow a prayer from the Psalms, to make this your prayer this morning. This is Psalm 119. Take a look on the screen. Psalm 119, verse 18. The writer here prays, Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. Amen? What a great prayer. Let's see how God will answer that for us this morning. Are you ready to see wondrous things? Yes? All right. Let's look together. Before I read through our main text this morning in Jeremiah 31, let me briefly remind you about, since we're just dropping, dropping in here to the, 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 the middle or closer to the, getting to the end of this book, let me remind you of the context that we find ourselves in. The prophet Jeremiah spoke to God's people in Judah and Jerusalem. That's southern, the southern part of what we think of as Israel. He was speaking to the people in Judah and Jerusalem 600 years before the time of Jesus. That's the time frame of the prophet Jeremiah. Like most of his prophetic peers, you can just go right down the list usually in the Bible, Jeremiah was deeply unpopular. Why did they dislike him so much? Because he was calling the people out about their idolatry. He was routinely calling the people out about their spiritual rebellion against God. And as you could guess, that didn't go over very well, did it, most of the time? (laughs) So he was deeply unpopular. Because of their sin, Jeremiah also promised, according to God's word to him and through him, he promised God's coming... Judgment on the nation. He regularly told them that God would be true to the covenant word that He gave them, that if they persisted in their spiritual rebellion, He would bring punishment. He would bring consequences to them. And those consequences, that judgment, would eventually culminate in 586 B.C. through the Babylonians. So they came and not only did they they come and destroy the city, they destroyed Solomon's temple that had been built many centuries before. And and, and not only did did they destroy the city and the temple, but they also took a large portion of the population and they brought them and took them into exile. This was all, of course, the judgment of God against their sin. And Jeremiah for many, many years had been telling them that this was coming. But we also see in Jeremiah, as you saw in your readings this past week, that in addition to these messages of judgment, there's also reassurance. There's also reassurance. In in almost every prophetic book, you're going to get good news, sorry, you're going to get bad news and good news. Well, listen to this good news, this, enc- this encouraging news that's emph- emphasized in this section. One of the phrases, if, if you were reading this past week, you may have noticed this phrase where it talks about God restoring the fortunes of his people. He put that in you know, different ways here or there, but always kind of that same language of restoring their fortunes. I think it's up on the screen. It's such an emphasis in this section. It's clearly an emphasis because 
you can read about it in seven different places in the chapters that we read last week. I will restore their fortunes. So with that in mind, listen to what Jeremiah says. Jeremiah 31 verses 31 through 34. Listen to what he tells us about these restored fortunes. Listen to this passage in light of this idea of the restored fortunes of God's people. Jeremiah 31, 31. Behold, the days are coming, declares Yahweh. Personal name of the God of Israel. Behold, the days are coming, declares Yahweh, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares Yahweh. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares Yahweh. I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother saying, Know Yahweh, for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest declares Yahweh. For I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. Okay, think with me. Think about the covenants mentioned here. There are two covenants mentioned here. Did you pick up on that? One is a broken covenant. The other, a new covenant. A broken covenant, a new covenant. Now, let's stop. Hold on a minute. What is a covenant? A covenant is a contract. A covenant is an agreement. It's a treaty. It's a commitment. It's a promise. One that defines or qualifies the relationship between two parties who enter into that covenant. So notice first what we learn here about a broken covenant. The broken covenant that the prophet describes. Which covenant is this? This broken covenant? Well, God answers that question. If you look back at verse 32, He answers the question plainly. What is this broken covenant? That broken covenant is the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. Crystal clear. We know exactly when this is, where this is, and when this is in history. That takes us back to the book of Exodus, doesn't it? It takes us specifically back to Exodus chapter 19 and then into chapter 20 where you'll find the Ten Commandments listed in Exodus chapter 20. But in Exodus 19, we read about a covenant being ratified, a covenant being made at that time. A covenant that we often call the Mosaic Covenants. It's also called the Sinaitic Covenant, right? Moses, Mosaic, Mount Sinai, Sinaitic. Later, the same covenant would be called the Deuteronomistic Covenant, right? Big word, just Deuteronomy. It just comes from the book of Deuteronomy, which means second law for the second generation of Israelites. Remember, the first generation died off there in the desert. They had to wander for 40 years until the last one dropped dead. Well, that second law was given that renewal of the covenant in the book of Deuteronomy. So how was this covenant broken? We're talking about a broken covenant, 
ratified in Exodus 19 when the people had come out of Egypt, emancipated from slavery under Moses' leadership. How was this covenant broken? broken? Well, again, God answers that in verse 32. Though God acted like a faithful husband. Do you see that? What does that mean? It means he was a faithful covenant partner. He was a faithful covenant partner. Though he acted that way, the people were what? They were unfaithful to God. Like a wife might be unfaithful towards her husband. They were unfaithful, or we could say they were faithless. God was faithful. They broke their covenant. And they broke their covenant with God by not abiding by the terms to which they had covenanted. You just read Exodus 19 and, and, and on into the rest of the book of Exodus and they covenant with God. They agree. We will do as you say. Sounds nice then, doesn't it? Sounds good. Like, okay, God's laid out the terms. They say, we're going to do it. We're going to do this. God says, I will uphold my end of the deal. You uphold your end of the deal. Those terms of that covenant as they were laid out, those terms that they did not abide by, those terms are what the Bible calls the law. The law. Sometimes you'll see it capitalized. When it's capitalized, it just means the law of Moses. That specific law. So these terms of the covenant were the law and the people broke it. To put it another way, to express it another way, God wanted to bless them. He wanted them to live and flourish before, before Him as His people. He wanted to bless their obedience that if they were holy as He was holy, they could experience untold, unmeasured blessings. And yet, Israel and Judah regularly broke those commandments. So that tendency of the people, that continued Turning towards sin is what characterized their history all up to the time of Jeremiah. The very thing he was preaching to the people about. The very reason God gave him a word to speak to the people. That God had sent him to the people to say, remember. So that's what these prophets were doing. The people continued to break God's commandments. That covenant, that Mosaic covenant, continued to be broken time and time again. But we also read, as we talked about, we read in that same verse, verse 32, in the opening words of verse 32, we read that, the new, that, that there's a new covenant that God is going to bring. And what does it tell us about that new covenant in the opening words of verse 32? It tells us that this new covenant is not like that Older covenants. Do you understand how precious those two words are? Not like. This new covenant is not like that old covenant. And when we understand these things, just those two words, not like, are like salve to our wounded hearts. It's like music to our ears. Because any covenant that depends on me performing 
meriting, doing, right? Uh, living up to those terms and, and walking perfectly or purely before God. Any covenant that's, that's hinging on, that's, that's based on that idea is bad news. Bad news because I know I will always fail. You will always fail. We will routinely break that covenant if it's left up to you and me abiding by the covenant. So this is amazing. It's not like it. There's a new covenant. It's not like the old covenant. We have to ask them, how is it different? How is it different? Well, before we talk about differences, it might surprise you to learn that this new covenant also involves the law. This is often played down, this idea, but it's beautiful and it's scriptural. This new covenant involves the law of God. The law is right here. Now, wait a minute. Wait, are we talking about the law that the people couldn't keep? Yes and no. Right? Yes and no. Notice how the law is part of this new covenant. Verse 33. Did you see it? For this is the covenant, this new covenant, that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares Yahweh. I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts. There's the law of God. The law of God is, is being talked about here. The law that they had broken time and time again. That they had failed as a covenant partner because of their failure to keep that law. That's, this law is being talked about here as God saying, I'm going to write it with them, within them, put it within them and write it on their hearts. So if both of these covenants are connected to God's law, how are they different? That's the question we need to ask. How are they different? To help us to understand the difference between the two, let me suggest a simple definition of God's law. Take a look on the screen. I think we could simply say the law is divine revelation of a good God and His good ways. The law is divine revelation of a good God and His good ways. Let's use that as our working definition and then revisit some of these questions we're asking about two covenants connected by the law. The old broken covenant, the new covenant, both connected by this idea of God's law. Now, in that older covenant, that broken covenant, this revelation that we talked about, you see there in the definition, the divine revelation, that revelation was given to Moses and it was written on stone tablets, eventually recorded on scrolls. It was something outside of us to which God called men and women to give their hearts. Come to, the, come to my word, be enlightened, be guided, come give your heart, fear me, trust me, love me, Read the opening chapters of Deuteronomy. It's a lot of this language here, right? Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Fear Him above all things. It really speaks to the heart, calling them to come and give their hearts to God. But, but, but think about the radical difference in regard to this new covenant. The law would now be inside of us. The law is now inside of us. It would be written not on stone or scrolls, but on human Hearts. Hearts like ours. A heart like yours. God would write His law on those hearts. 
No, commandments one through one through five would not be tattooed on the left ventricle with six through ten being placed on the right ventricle. If I cut you open, right, we're not going to find that. That's not exactly what it means. We don't need to take it at that literally. The heart that's mentioned here is simply the inner you. The inner you from which or out of which you live your life, your thoughts, your feelings, your desires, your priorities, your convictions, your values. The promise here is that divine revelation of a good God and His good ways will be divinely placed at the very center of a person. That revelation that took place on Sinai with smoke and lightning and fire, that revelation, Moses coming down from the mountain, his face aglow, that revelation written on tablets of stone by the finger of God, that revelation will be placed at the very center of a person, of each individual Therefore, that revelation can't not radically change a person's life from the inside out. Right? Does that make sense to you? That revelation will change a person from the inside out. What do we read about that change in this passage? It tells us right here the result of this supernatural inner inscription. The result will be that everyone will know God in a right relationship. Everyone will know God. Unlike ancient Israel, where you had a mix, a, a scattering, a mix of people, right? Some we can think of who were faithful. We can name them off, right? King David, Moses, right? We can go right through that list of, of, of prophets, right? Uh, Miriam, Deborah, uh, Sarah, uh, Abraham. You, you, just, you can look at that Old Testament and the, the people that stand out there who loved God, who sought God. The ones mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11, that hall of faith as we often talk about it. Hebrews chapter 11. But we can also see all of the people who regularly just kind of played the game. And they went and did sacrifices. We heard about that in Isaiah chapter 1, if you remember a number of weeks ago. When we looked at Isaiah 1 and we saw that religiosity that God condemned because their hearts were far from God. We see that, right? So there was this mixture of people who knew God and, and many who didn't know God. But God's talking about something different here. He's talking about a people formed by Him, by His gracious intervention, breaking into their lives, writing, tattooing on their hearts that divine revelation so that every one of them would know Him. And no one belongs to that people unless God has intervened in that way. Therefore, all know Him. There's no exceptions. All who truly belong to that new covenant people know the Lord. They know Him. 
we also see in thinking about the change and the results of this, we see that final phrase of verse 34. It, it assures us, doesn't it? Reassures us. It talks us about, it talks to us, it speaks of forgiveness of every sin. That sin that separates us from God, that broken covenant sin that Jeremiah spoke against, that sin would be forgiven. And it would be forgiven in such a way that God says decisively, I'll remember their sin no more. They couldn't know God unless the sin had been taken care of in some way, right? Unless it had been atoned for. So there's so much here that we want to try to unpack that we can't completely unpack this morning. But we will see how God has fulfilled this word. So we might ask this. For those first readers, those first listeners of Jeremiah... What, what would a law-inscribed heart look like? If they read these words and said, God's going to put His law within us and write it on our hearts, ooh, what? what does this even mean? Well, here's, I think they would have understood what this w- would have meant because, take a look at Psalm 40, verse 8. David, many years before this, many centuries before this, he helped us when he wrote Psalm 40, verse 8, where he said, I delight to do your will, O my God, your law is within my heart. Ah, do you see it there? The new heart that God promised through Jeremiah, the law-inscribed heart, is not simply one that's deeply familiar with God's law. Right? Like you can just quote it like all of a sudden, like, what's, uh, what's commandment number 461? Oh, it's about, uh, not wearing, you know, two different, a fabric of two different blends or whatever. That's not what it means to have the law inside of you. Like we see here, it's not familiarity simply with God's will. It's love for God's will. It's joy in doing God's will. That's what David means when he says, your law is within my heart. And can you imagine all of the people of God having that love for God's will? That joy in doing God's will. Other prophets would go on to speak of those coming days. Uh, Isaiah spoke about them. We've heard that already. Other prophets would go on to speak about those coming days, about that time of restored fortunes when God would perform supernatural heart surgery on His people. Listen to how Ezekiel describes this new, this promised change. Ezekiel chapter 36. And I will give you a new heart. There it is. Ezekiel picking up the same idea. I'm going to give you a new heart. A new spirit I will put within you. There's a synonym Right? A new heart, a new spirit, both inside, speaking of the inner you. I will remove the heart of stone. Okay, wait a minute. Heart of stone, something inside of us. That's got to be connected with the broken covenant. The covenant they could not keep. I will take that heart of stone from your flesh and I will give you a heart of flesh. Heart of stone doesn't do anything. It just sits there. It's a great paperweight probably for your desk. What does the heart of flesh do? It beats. It gives life. Right? That's the picture here. I'll give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you. God's going to put His spirit within us. Look at the connections being made here. And, listen to this part, cause you to walk in my statutes and to be careful to obey my rules. That's the law inscribed heart. 
You see it? Ezekiel's talking about the same thing Jeremiah's talking about, of what God will do in the future with His people. A man or woman who walks in my statutes, synonym for the law, careful to obey my rules, another synonym for the law. But remember, brothers and sisters, where that life is flowing from, this prophesied life is flowing from a divinely inscribed heart, one where God has taken the initiative, He's intervened, and He's written that law on that heart. I will make a new covenant with the people, God says. It's a heart that knows God. One that is powered by, one that is inspired by, at the very center of who a person is, inspired by divine revelation of a good God and His good ways. For a people who would eventually be so devastated by their failures and the consequences of their sin, languishing in exile, for that people who would finally get it, they would understand. For a people who came to recognize the true condition of their hearts, this promise must have sounded too good to be true. A new heart, a new spirit. Law inside of us. But Hebrews chapter 8 in the New Testament reminds us that the prophet's message wasn't too good to be true. It was not. It was true. And it would be fulfilled. These words would be fulfilled. Not only does Hebrews chapter 8, 8 quote all four of these verses, right? Jeremiah 31, 31, 32, 33, 34. It quotes that entire section in Hebrews chapter 8. But it makes it explicitly clear there in that chapter that Jesus Christ is the mediator of a covenant enacted, ratified on better promises. That is the new covenant promised through the prophet Jeremiah. There's nothing unclear about this. The Bible is explicit. The new covenant came to pass in the person of Jesus Christ, through the work of Jesus Christ. Hebrews chapter 8. Jesus Himself confirmed this for His disciples on the night before His crucifixion. Hours before His crucifixion. Take a look. When at that table with His disciples, He declared this, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in My blood. Whoa. They would have understood that. They would have recognized that. They would have heard that, right? Dabarit Hadasha, right? The new covenant in Hebrew. They would have heard Barit Hadasha and said, Jeremiah, Jeremiah promised this new, this new heart, this new covenant coming. How will it be ratified? It will be ratified in the Messiah's blood. So guess what all of this means for you, brother, sister, it means that if you are, by God's intervening grace, a new creation in Christ, if you are His disciple, then you are under this new covenant. And God's law is inscribed on your hearts. It's placed within you according to His Word. 
just as he promised to do for his people, of which you are now a member. You're a member of his people. You're a part of this covenant. Paul describes this idea of becoming a member of his people in Romans chapter 11 of the idea of of being grafted into an olive tree. The olive tree is the people of God. And there's some natural ones there that that we refer to as as Jewish or, or Israel. But that olive tree is the people of God. And we, wild olive branches, Paul calls us as Gentiles, non-Jews, we're grafted in by His grace. And so we receive the sap from the tree. And that sap is this new covenant promise, this reality. God's law inscribed on your heart. Do you, you think about your Christian life in that way? That I I serve God because His law is inscribed in my heart? It's not a common, it's not a common idea. We don't think a lot about that. I think it's because some people get bothered by all this talk about God's law. (laughs) We have kind of a, we're kind of prickly about the law when we talk about the law. And, And I get it. We have, there's reason to be prickly about the law. We know that that law condemns us as sinners. Paul makes it very, very clear the law kills us. The commandment came and he died because of that law. It condemns us. It's not a ladder by which we rise up to God. It's a thermometer that shows us how desperately sick we are. And this law has tempted so many over the centuries. This law has tempted so many to a kind of performance mindset to a kind of works mindset, to a kind of if I'm just good enough mindset, I can merit my own way kind of mindset when it comes to obedience. I get the hesitation. I get the caution where the prickliness comes from. But remember the definition that we used earlier. The law is divine revelation of a good God and His good ways. So ultimately, what are we talking about? Are we talking specifically about Israel's law? No, we're not ultimately talking about that particular expression of God's law to ancient Israel, an expression given for a particular time to a particular people. Was the law of God in that expression? Absolutely. But that expression at that particular time was not the be-all, end-all, comprehensive statement on, on God's law for all generations. We know that, right? We're talking about what is true of God always, Old Testament, New Testament. What is always true of Him. So if God's law is that His people be set apart in the Old Covenant, that could be manifested by you not eating certain foods. Right? Do we still abide by that? No, we don't. It's very clear that we don't abide by that any longer. Now we are set apart. We emphasize, we focus on other ways to be set apart and distinct as believers. But you see, God's law is that you be set apart as His people. Not the particular don't eat, not the particular don't eat pork, don't eat shellfish, don't eat whatever. That was for that particular people at that particular time. Was it God's law? Yes, it was. But it was a manifestation or or a cultural expression of God's law. And God has seen fit to say, 
that's done. And this is what I was doing with that, why I gave it. But here's the fullness of it. The point is that you would be distinct as a people. That you, as First Peter 1 says, that you would be holy as I am holy, says the Lord. I hope that makes sense. So listen to this. You see, the New Testament, talking about law, God, Paul even uses the same language here and says that law, God's law, it's even written on the hearts of those who don't know him. Now, he's using the idea of being written on their hearts in a different way than we're talking about this morning. But he says that even when those people who don't have God's law do by God's law, right, what's written on their heart, what informs their conscience, these Gentiles, it's confirming, right? They, they, they're either condemned, uh, commended or condemned by that law, that internal moral compass, as we might call it, that we find all around the world in human beings about killing, stealing, lying, Right? All of these things, we recognize that that's given to us by God. It's written on our hearts in a particular way, but that's different than what we're talking about here. But that's the law of God. So the New Testament teaches us, it teaches us what the prophet Ezekiel already confirmed in the selection that we saw from Ezekiel 36. It teaches us this, that God putting His law in us, God putting His law in you as a believer, is another way of talking about God putting His Spirit in you. Didn't we see that in Ezekiel? So the law-inscribed heart is the Holy Spirit-filled heart. It's the Holy Spirit-filled life. How do we know that? We know that because Paul weaves all of these ideas together. And remember, brother and sister, he's talking about you here. So listen up. Listen up. This is what he's saying to you. The Apostle Paul. Romans 8, verses 2 through 4. For the law... Now, let me... Real quickly. This is like the law of gravity at this point. What he means, there's a principle at work. So we'll call this a divine principle. Little L law. Little L law. For the divine principle of the Spirit of life has set you free... There's the Spirit. Holy Spirit. Has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law. That is the divine principle of sin and death. The divine principle of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the divine principle of sin and death. For God has done what the capital L law weakened by the flesh could not do. (gasps) There's the broken covenant. Jeremiah 31. There's the broken covenant right there. We could not do this. How did he, how did he do this? How did God Meet our need by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. He came as a man, a human being like us. Like us sinners. He wasn't a sinner, but He came and He was like us in this way. He was a human being. He sent Him in the likeness of sinful flesh and He sent Him for sin. Why? That He might condemn sin in the flesh. There's the atonement. There's the blood. There's the accepting of the penalty under the law. Jesus Christ. And why did He do all of this? In order that the righteous requirement of the capital L law might be fulfilled in us. Now wait a minute. I thought it was fulfilled in Jesus. It was. But it's also fulfilled in us in a different way. 
What is the righteous requirement? The righteous requirement is simple. Be holy as I am holy. If you are to be my people, you are to reflect me to the world. Wow. Wait a minute. That's a tall order, God. Wait, wait a minute. I can't do that. I can't. Just like Jeremiah said, they couldn't keep that. They broke that covenant. How am I supposed to be holy? Because I'm going to write my law on your heart. I'm going to put it inside of you. And that's what this is saying. That the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk, who live, not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. That's how you fulfill the righteous requirement of the law. That's how you are holy. That's how you look like Jesus Christ because the Spirit of God has brought new life inside of you. The Holy Spirit, through the Holy Spirit, the righteous requirement of the law can be fulfilled. How is that? Well, Romans, if we go on to Romans 13, we see Paul explaining that. As faith expressing itself in love reveals God's Spirit at work in us and through us, the law is fulfilled. Don't take my word for it. Listen to the Apostle Paul in Hebrews 13.8. Sorry, Romans 13.8. Paul says, Owe no one anything except to love each other for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. <laughs> what? <laughs> The one who's loved another person has fulfilled the law? I should see more smiles on your faces right now. You guys look like a bunch of sourpusses. I'm telling you that the 613 commandments of the Old Testament law are fulfilled in love by God's Spirit being put in you by His grace. Do you understand that? It's available to you. Radical divine intervention and revelation at the center of you to reveal the inestimable goodness of God to you. What are you doing with it? Are you cooperating with the Holy Spirit in you? Are you holy as He is holy? Yes, I understand the desire to always go back and say, well, Christ did it for me, Christ did it for me, Christ did it for me, Christ did it for me. He did do it, but why did He do it for you? He not only saved you from something, He saved you for something. He saved you for something. A brand new life. A new creation in Christ that does not live conformed to this world, that lives radically different. Why? Because the Spirit of God is at work in you. Paul ties this together again in the Spirit of God. Galatians chapter 5. Take a look on the screen. But the fruit of the Spirit inside of you is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no what? Law. There's the law again. What's it saying? It's saying that unlike the deeds of the flesh mentioned in the, the, the verse before this, against which there are plenty of laws against those deeds of the flesh, with these things there is no law because these are in line with the law. These are how the law is fulfilled. All of the laws given about be kind to the foreigner among you, right? Be kind to the, the servants because you were once in slaves in Egypt. You should remember how it felt. Whoa, that's what we just talked about. Patience, gentleness, 
kindness. That's there underneath the fulfilling of the law. This is what God was doing, right? Jesus said, I've come not to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. And then he began to speak to the heart in a pretty radical way in Matthew 5, Matthew 6. Does this encourage you, believer? To hear this Jeremiah perspective on your salvation? Does it encourage you that an ancient promise is fulfilled in you today? It's fulfilled in your life. That God is at work in you if you belong to Christ. He is at work in you even now, right at the very center of who you are. He's at work by means of divine revelation. That as you face tempting situations in your life, as you struggle with tempting thoughts in your life, as you feel yourself growing weary, as you feel mired in your sin, as you seek to run with endurance the race that is set before you, are you encouraged that this good God is now empowering you from the inside out? Yes. Does any of this mean that we live out God's law perfectly? (laughs) No, No, absolutely not. Absolutely not. But Jesus, our teacher, our rabbi, our master, our Lord said, be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. We can try to explain that away, but I think it means exactly what it says. Strive with everything that you are to be holy in every way in your life. But in the end, you will realize, as Jesus would later reveal to his disciples, that you will not be able to achieve that. And because we are not able to achieve that, that Jesus Christ has done what we could not do and could never do. Jesus is the only perfect law keeper. It's why he's our mediator of the new covenant. Praise God. Right. He is the mediator that we need because he is fully human, the likeness of sinful flesh. But he also is the perfect law keeper, the only perfect law keeper. Never once violating God's law. Action, word, spirit, none of those things. He is the only perfect law keeper and He is, praise God, our mediator. It's His blood that has ratified this new covenant. And we don't see this in the passage from Jeremiah, but when you look at similar passages in the prophets, you hear this very thing because He tells them, and I will raise up David for you. I will raise up David and He will lead you. Well, not literal David being resurrected, but the descendant of David. A king from David's line that God would bring in connection with this new covenant. If your desire is to become like Jesus this morning, it should be if you're a disciple, that's what it means to be a disciple. You want to become like Jesus. And if you want to become like Jesus, then seek Him this morning. Give thanks to Him this morning in light of the fact that God has graciously written this power, He has written this into our spiritual DNA as believers. Power to become like Christ. Power to walk like Christ. 
power to be holy as He is holy. So seek Him this morning in light of this believer. Let the revelation of Scripture regularly activate that inner revelation in you. The written Word and the law written on your heart through the Spirit. Let those two work together through the power of that Holy Spirit. Trust that the Holy Spirit is not only present in you, but He is available to you. It's one thing to say, I believe I have the Spirit, because that checks off certain theological boxes. I believe I have the Spirit. I can make that confession. I believe He's the down payment for my salvation to come. I can check that box off. But it's one thing to know that and accept that as a truth. It's another thing to know and to live every day knowing the Spirit is available to you to live a very different life. Radically transformed. The law, apart from us and outside of us, condemns us. The law God puts within us through His Spirit conforms us. One condemns, one conforms. And I pray that you this morning know the word that conforms, the gift that conforms you on the inside, inside out, conforming you to the image of Jesus Christ. Will you trust Him for that this morning? Let's go to prayer. Let's thank God. We have so much to be thankful for. We remind each other and stir each other up in this way that we would truly live as the people of God, what He saved us for in this world. Pray with me if you would.